When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 38th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off Abbey Road. And we appreciate you sticking with us during all this time. It's been kind of a rough summer uh, with all the COVID testing going on, and I got flooded out of my flat, still living in an Airbnb just down the road. So I feel a little bit like a stranger in a strange land, which is apropos because this week we're going to dive into Iron Maiden's sixth record, Somewhere in Time. And what inspired us to go back and do Somewhere in Time this week is the new song, Writing on the Wall, which comes out on the album Senjitsu here uh, September 3rd. But they made an incredible animated video for it. It's the best video I've seen in decades. And in fact, at the time of recording this intro, they just released the version with sound effects. So you can hear the thunderclaps from the lightning. You can hear the motorcycles and the four horsemen and all the other stuff that kind of goes with the video. I didn't think they could make it better. And then they added sound effects and it's better. It's amazing. And I just think Iron Maiden's character, Eddie, very much lends himself to being in animated videos. So I'm hoping this is the start of something for Iron Maiden where they could do a lot more of that. And in listening to that song, wanting to hear some of the old stuff, I just thought that the Somewhere in Time album would go with it so well because the cover, the Derek Riggs cover that goes both on the front and the back is so incredible, so intricate, has so many little Iron Maiden details, and all those songs could have easily been made into an animated video. So, Jackson and I decided to dust off somewhere in time, uh, give it a re-listen, and talk about you know how we came to it, what role it plays in the Iron Maiden pantheon for us, and what we would do with it if maybe we could make videos out of it. Now, if you listen closely on this episode, you can hear Dougal T. Dog, uh, the wolf dog, making his debut uh, through a couple of barks in there that I just didn't edit out because uh, Jackson was saying some interesting things there. So for those who want real, it doesn't get any more real than your dog barking while you're doing your podcast. Really appreciate everybody who listened to the Oasis Don't Believe the Truth episode last time. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Dex in Nashville uh, who said it was more of a discovery for him. Uh, and it was great because we usually review bands that were in their prime before he was grown up. But Oasis hit big when he was grown up and he didn't know Don't Believe the Truth. So he got to go listen to that record, discover it, uh, and fit it into his own memories of seeing Oasis live when he was uh, younger. So we appreciate the uh, compliment there, Dex, and we hope you can continue to listen. And as usual, you can find all of our past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Make sure you subscribe and download Apple, Amazon, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. And make sure you tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Let us know the albums and the bands that you want to hear us talk about. Now, another thing that's going on right now that kind of inspired all this is Bruce Dickinson has been doing a speaking tour of England where he goes into theaters uh, and talks about all sorts of things, Maiden uh, and beyond. I had tickets to see him at Shepherd's Bush Empire on August 12th, got my COVID pass on my phone, was all ready to go, and then the night before, on Monday the 11th, they said, yeah, someone in Bruce's inner circle tested positive, so he needs to self-isolate. 
And then within a couple of days, it turns that Bruce had also tested positive. And of course, we wish him the speediest recovery. We're glad he was double vaccinated. He says himself he would have been much sicker had he not been double vaccinated. And so everyone out there who's struggling with COVID, we hope you're feeling better. Uh, We hope you get over this. And while I was disappointed to not be able to finally see a live show, even though it's a speaking show, my first show in almost two years, I I still, the most important thing is making sure that Bruce is healthy and everybody in the audience uh, gets to go home healthy as well. But in deference to Bruce, uh, who we hope recovers very soon, and to the new song and video writing on the wall, we're going to go somewhere back in time to review Iron Maiden 6 album, Somewhere in Time, right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Let's get into somewhere in time, man, because I was inspired after seeing the writing on the wall and hearing the song, the new single with the extraordinary animated video made by guys who were from DreamWorks, which is part of David Geffen's empire. So I'm like, oh, I got to listen to some more Maiden. What else am I going to listen to that fits in? And I just felt like the Somewhere in Time album just kind of did. Between seeing the uh, Blade Runner Eddie being one of the four horsemen in the video, and I just thought that like it, this is kind of a transition back to greatness for Iron Maiden. Not that they were not great on their last few albums, and some could argue they're greater than they've ever been. But it just it was reminiscent of the older stuff. And when I play Somewhere in Time here over the last couple weeks... I'm like, man, this is great. This is good old Maiden. But it's not, for some people, it was a departure, right? Because they started to use synths, guitar synths on this thing, which, you know, of course, you can see Bruce Dickinson say in many different interviews coming up to this time, you can't use keyboards in heavy metal. You can't use synthesizers in heavy metal. And yet here we are, 1986, almost every song has synths on it. Well, I think that... He's right. You can't use synths on heavy metal music, but it was the 80s and that's what was happening. And I think they kind of, it's cool to me that they would depart 
from the standard sound that they had. This was always going to be a bugger boo of a record because you came off Power Slave, which puts you into the stratosphere, mm-hmm. and then into the World Slavery Tour, which was we, had, we talked about before on Live for Death. Those are two huge records. You take a year off. Now you've got to make the follow-up record. There was a lot riding on this thing for them, I'm sure, because where are you going to go now? It's, it's kind of hard to go anywhere but down after that. I think this is a fantastic record. This was the first Maiden record I ever owned. I feel kind of bad after looking at this now. I even have, I had the original Nice Price CD. <laughs> I don't think I, I think it was a Columbia House special. I think uh-huh. I got it for a dime. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sad and I may have to actually go out and pick this up on vinyl only because the artwork is phenomenal. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. And the, the cool part about Maiden is that it's like it, they, they live in a, their own world. They've created this world. Now we've got Blade Runner Eddie, the continuing adventures. He was in the Great Pyramids on Power Slave. Now he's in the future. We love Blade Runner. It just all kind of fit together. I think this is a great album. And the back of it, it has the, every square inch of space is some kind of, there's something going on there. It's an homage either to the band's past mm-hmm. or to stuff, stuff that they love. So yeah, it's, it's really a cool package. And I love this record. I mean, it's got a lot of cool stuff on it. I mean, we're going to go through it track by track, I'm sure. Right. But yeah, I think this is an underrated gem in the Maiden catalog. I, I'm with you there. It, it was Seventh Son of a Seventh Son that really turned me on to Maiden. It was our friend Rob who let me borrow it and, and stick it back to the dorm and we listened to it. And yeah, there's a lot of synth in it. There's no doubt about it. More synth out than, than this record is. But I'm like, wow, these guys are like heavy metal poets and they have this kind of operatic. I mean, Bruce Dickinson's voice is unbelievable. And the guitar work, of course, and you and I have always been guitar guys. The guitar work is sick. They've got two lead guitarists who can just wail and shred. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was an introduction to Iron Maiden for us a little late. Because, I mean, living in suburbia in the 80s, late 80s, you know, you're kind of, again, you're kind of defined by who you are. You're also defined by who you're not. And, you know, the redneck kids liked Iron Maiden. And I could see my parents, you know, would see an Iron Maiden cover and be like, that's not you. You know, that's, you're not bringing that home. You know, you wear polo shirts and khaki pants and you get good grades and that's not you. That's not the image we're cultivating, right, young man? And I wasn't the only one in that boat, I think. Well, I mean, I was in the same boat except for the good grades. Uh, the po- I had the polo shirt. But yeah, it, it's it's interesting because I was I was getting ready for the show and I was messing around. I like to update my phone with whatever we're working on. So my cover screen is Eddie and there was a woman that we were having dinner with and she just looked, she said, what is that horrible thing on your phone? Horrible like, thing. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Thank you. Yeah, I never, I never really listened to Maiden in high school because it was not... It was just not something that I was exposed to. Like I knew who they were. I knew, I mean, I remember when Power Slave came out and I thought that the cover was really cool, but you're right. If that was hanging around your room or whatever, your parents would have said, what is this? Uh, An interesting subtopic here is that I was listening to something else last week and my wife, Mrs. Action, Mm -hmm. came in and said, you know, it's interesting, whatever this is, they don't really have a sound. I can't even remember who the band was, but they don't have a, they don't really have a sound. Maiden has a sound. Yeah. They can pay, they, you can hear a song, two seconds of any part of the song, and you know it's them. You were talking about the two guitars, but you've also got the Beast 
Steve Harris playing Iron Maiden bass. Right. You can tell that from a mile away. But the person I think who does not get enough credit in the band is Nico. If you listen to the drum part, he's going nuts back there. just putting in little fills. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing, seeing Bruce Dickinson play Two Minutes to Midnight, let's just say that to make it easy, with his solo band. Mm-hmm. It was the same song, same singer, not the same vibe without Nico and Steve Harris playing the underneath part. It's just they create this sound that's unlike anything else. Yeah, and, and Steve's got his patented gallop with the two sixteenth mm-hmm. notes and the one eighth note, and you can hear it's in all sorts of their songs. But he is the man, and I can't believe that if this is twenty twenty one, Iron Maiden's been around forty five years, yeah. uh, and it's forty years since Killers came out. So this is the thirty fifth anniversary of Somewhere in Time. And to give a little background on the band, as you were talking about Jackson, Power Slave, which came out in eighty four, was a killer album with huge tracks like Two Minutes to Midnight and Aces High. Not to mention Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, stuff that it goes down great in concert. They toured for a year and did almost 190 dates in arenas and, and with that full show, with all the Egyptian stuff, with the pyramid, with Eddie coming out and spitting fire out of his eyes. For a year they did that. So this is the first time they took more than a year between studio releases. But they had to because they had to recover after that tour. They did give us Live After Death in 85, so it wasn't like there was no Iron Maiden release for a year. But that is live. And then, I mean, Bruce Dickinson had to recover. They all needed a rest, but if anybody did, Bruce does. Because you can't sing like that 200 times in a year, not to mention run around and cover all that stage that he does. I don't know if anyone else on Earth could have done what he did. I I don't think so, and I know now... I've seen a couple of different tours where they were, uh, especially on Wasted Years, Adrian will sing some of it or all of it. Mm-hmm. But back then, nobody else. I mean, they sung backup vocals, but he sung every song every night for 190 shows. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he just didn't disintegrate into nothing is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Adrian was the only one who had a microphone other than Bruce. And, and, and Steve be, is yeah. singing. He's singing every song, but he's singing it mm-hmm. to the crowd. You know, like he's standing on his monitor screaming it at the crowd because he knows all the words, but he's not singing it into a microphone. Right, right. Yeah, to, to have that kind of control over your voice, too, without just uh, – because, I mean, I looked at the – we've looked at the uh, set list. Not mm-hmm. set list, but the date list. Mm-hmm. They really didn't take too many days off. Like, yeah, they had to for travel, but, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, we took three weeks off. I mean, he was going at it every night. I can't. There, there was a thing. I don't know if we talked about it on the on the live after death show, but th- there was a part where he said he flipped out on the tour. Mm-hmm. Like he had to have a curry, and he had to like they had it flown in or something. It cost him a zillion dollars, but he's like, if I eat another turkey sandwich or whatever it was on this thing, I'm going to lose my mind. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a mindset of yeah, just just the the grind of doing this for an entire year of your life. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, if you have a fever, you can play the guitar. But good yeah. luck belting out Iron Maiden lyrics and, and vocals with a fever, man. I mean, you know, anyone else, you know, if you have a broken leg, fine. Just stand there and, and plug that bass, you know. But to be the front man in Iron Maiden is a very 
physically difficult job. And I think that the World Slavery Tour just about did him in. Right. And and I was listening to the radio yesterday and Duff McKagan was talking about playing the Guns N' Roses show and he was going to sing uh, Want to Be Your Dog by Iggy and the Stooges. And we're going to play it now. So I listened to it. I'm like, I mean, that's a cool song and a cool vibe, but he's not really singing. He's just kind of yelling. Bruce like sings mm-hmm. every night. You had your voice has to be a hundred percent. If you're one of those dudes that just yells, if you're off, who cares? Cause you're yelling, but right. he's got to hit the high notes, the whole thing. And like you said, run around, change costumes, you know, grab the flag and, and, you know, uh, parade that around for the trooper. I mean, it's a, it's exhausting. Yeah. And you got to fight Eddie, getting, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. yeah, it's it's not an easy job, you know? And, and Bruce Dickinson is an extraordinary individual. Besides being able to sing and perform all these songs, he's also a commercial pilot flying 757s and 747s, mm-hmm. has flown commercially for other airlines, has his own aviation company. He's what you call a polymath, someone who can do many different, very complicated things. Right, like there, some people can be an international airline pilot. Some people can be a doctor. Very few could be both. I think Dickinson could probably be both if he really wanted to. It might be a little late in the game to be a doctor. <laughs> it's funny to watch that flight six 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 where it's just the band, and yet he's still got the full pilot uniform on with the the, the short the, sleeves, you know, lapel, yeah, the lapels and everything. I'm like. I think we're all cool with this, uh, Bruce. I don't think you really need to put this. But okay, if that makes you feel better, then. The uniform, but I guess he I guess. takes it seriously. He is the captain. We're doing this like any other commercial flight. I don't think this will ever happen to me. But if I were to get on a flight and hear that voice come over the cockpit PA, like, <gasps> I can't believe this is actually happening because I know he does every once in a while fly commercial, just random commercial flights to keep his hours up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> Scream for me, flight <laughs> 6103. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh, I would be. I would wait till the last second and to go up to there, hopefully have the door open. <sighs> Let me guess, big fan. You have no idea. Right. Oh, man. All right, so at the end, the end of the World Slavery Tour, everyone needs a break. Bruce basically needs to take a bit of a rest. But it sounds like Adrian Smith, Dave Murray, and Steve Harris started to experiment a little bit with some of the technology available of the day, specifically guitar synths. And that's why this record is a... It sounds a little different from, from previous Maiden records, but as a guy who has become a pretty big fan of prog music or someone who's exploring it a lot more and has a greater appreciation of it. To me, going back and listening to this now that I have a sense of what prog is, I don't know. It's not quite as proggy as Seventh Son. They didn't go full bore quite yet. They're still kind of experimenting with some stuff. But I think the sound of the album is incredible. I think it is too. I mean, if they had kept this the whole time from then on, that might have been a problem. But for this record and then going into Seventh Son, I think it works perfectly. Uh, Steve Harris swears up and down that this is not a concept record where Seventh Son is. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, Meh. it seems like they all kind of go together, these songs. So They do. There's a common theme of like space yeah. and time you know, mm-hmm. throughout most of them, it would seem. And then, of course, we, we can't get it out of our head as soon as we see the image. And the cover, especially after when you fold it out both ways, the front and the back, the cover is an extraordinary work of art by Derek Riggs. It really is. And it has so many little references in there because you can go in and find like 
a hundred of them. I mean, it, it, people who really have a lot of time on their hands can point out, you know, a hundred different things. You know, I, to me, it's just, you know, obvious. You see the clock. It's two minutes to midnight on the clock. You see the thing of the Ruskin arms or, you know, the, the Eddie lives and, you know, stuff like that. There's, there are all sorts of little things and stuff about Blade Runner, the Bradbury arms, all this stuff in there. Derek Riggs, of course, did, I mean, most all their albums and singles from the beginning through No Prayer for the Dying, if I'm not mistaken. And then after that, they, uh, they, they, they had to use other artists. But this, yeah, is, this is the top to me. This, this is the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. And I think there, there's a quote somewhere from Riggs saying that he will never, ever, ever do anything like this again because it took him so long to paint the to, or to create that back cover mm-hmm. that it was just, you know, one of these things, oh, yeah, I can get that knocked out. And, you know, and then three months later, you're still working on it. Yeah, it's extremely intricate. But I think I think it turned out great, and you're right. I do need to get this either on vinyl or some kind of big poster because yeah, you could every every there is no wasted space on this thing. No, no, it, it's so intricate. There's so much great stuff on there, uh, and it, and see that's what kind of separates. I mean, a lot of bands will just kind of put their logo on the front, maybe a sexy girl or a picture of the band or whatever, you know, and, and they make it you know Ross Halfin to take the picture of them on the inner sleeve. But but on the outside, you know, they're making something special and it sets them apart. I mean, it sets them apart from the other bands of the day and all bands of all time, really. Yeah, they, they really are the ones that have kind of kept this theme together. They, they don't have, I think there was a greatest hits record somewhere, mm-hmm. like from Sony, that had a picture of them. But every other album they've ever had has Eddie artwork on the front. And so, yeah, it does tie it all together. And the logo is always the same. Uh, and I like the I like this one where the, the Iron Maiden logo is the classic. But then somewhere in time is that like um, 80s uh, digital computer generated. Mm-hmm. Uh, like LED kind of looking. Yeah, like, like one of those old calculators that you would see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is very – and if you if you open up, I've got the, the edition that came out in I think early 2000 when the when the Rock and Rio was released. Mm-hmm. They've got some other pictures in there that Riggs had done along with the – to go to go with this, I think like their Christmas card. Huh. Uh, one of them was the – there's Eddie standing in front of a Ferrari in the Don Johnson white suit with a alligator. Nice. Yeah, so it was very, they were very conscious of being, making this thing in the 80s. They were very, very conscious of being, this this was made in the the decade of excess (laughs) and they were conscious of that, I do believe. I do like the, uh, the extended version of this or the reissue because it has pictures from the concert tour on the inner sleeve, which the original did not because they hadn't toured yet. Right. So that's just a little extra thing they put on there. And Bruce had that crazy, if you watch the, uh, stranger in a strange land video. video, he's wearing the Eddie costume, but it's just the pants and the pirate shirt. He had a whole jacket that went with it also, which I think he described as being ungodly hot. Did he have a face mask too, maybe with it? I think, yeah, yeah, I think it was the whole deal. And yeah, I think he ditched that pretty quick. And so I, the sad thing of, of all this is, because yeah, I've seen the video and Stranger to Strange Land, cool video. And you can see that on like the corners of the sides of the stage, there's like inflatables that are like Eddie's hands that come up and then like they're standing in his hands like you can see Steve Harris sitting just standing on top of one of his hands playing or whatever Bruce on the other side and then his head was maybe behind 
Nico's drum riser. Apparently, there is no film of this tour, which is a real yeah. shame. Yeah. It, 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 Interesting. And Rod Smallwood was like, I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess, you know, we, we'd filmed the previous one. They, they'd filmed Live After Death. And Made in England was the video they shot on video. And I think actually Steve Harris directed it and maybe kind of directed it after the fact, but, but directed the video. But, you know, there's a difference between video and film. And I think that... When the opportunity to film it came along, they said, well, that's too expensive. And plus, we just did that. We did that last tour. So we're not going to do that. And I I, I think that's a shame. I think it's a travesty because, for one, they didn't play most of these songs kind of ever again. I mean, I, you know, some songs stick a long time. Some songs really stick around for one tour or a couple of tours. And I think maybe a couple lasted through Seventh Son, but then after that, because they had some lineup changes and they kind of changed their sound back a little bit, a lot of that was abandoned for more of the old stuff. Now, Wasted Years and Heaven Can Wait have been part of their concerts in the last 20, 25 years. But for the most part, all the rest of this stuff really only lasted a tour or maybe a little bit into Seventh Son. So we don't have that kind of video collection. We don't have that live concert of it and so if anyone out there has a boot, my guess is Iron Maiden might buy it from you and clean it up. I mean, it, it, because it's the only way anyone's going to be able to see it. That, that would be cool. And it's too bad, uh, like on seventh, uh, on um, Stranger in a Strange Land, that was one of the singles. But it's just too, I don't think it's concert vibe material. It's long and it's kind of slow. Mm -hmm. So I can see why they, they got rid of that one. It's too bad now it's... You kind of run back and forth on this. They've got so many songs they can play now. You just can't. Right. You can't get them all in there. So it is kind of. It would. Yes, it would be really cool to see that video, to see what the set list and to hear a lot of these songs that they probably, like you said, only ever played one time or through one tour. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Stranger, Stranger. Although I love the song, it does slow down in the middle, and then it's got Steve kind of really on that bass. It's rich, you know pure bass while well, I think it's Davey um, who, uh, who's, who's playing lead at that point. No, I bet it's Adrian because he wrote it. Look, this was kind of a stepping out for Adrian Smith because Bruce Dickinson was so worn out, the band rejected all of his songs. And, and you know, on the last album, on Power Slave, he wrote or co-wrote about half the songs. But he did not get one writing credit, solo or co, on this whole record. But Adrian did, and he got the two singles Wasted Years and, and Stranger in a Strange Land. Plus, he did, did a, a Sea of Madness. So he's, he's stepping up to the plate. Well, that's that's where the trouble started, I do believe, because it was my understanding that in the past, it was always uh, Smith and Dickinson. Smith would start the songs, get them cooking, bring them to Dickinson, and he would put the Iron Maiden finishing touches on it. Okay. This had gone so long that Smith had completed songs he didn't need dickinson mm -hmm. dickinson had his own songs that were as you said nah, it's not going to work he was just going in a different direction i think harris even said they weren't bad songs they just weren't what we were going to use on this record mm -hmm. dickinson said okay sure no problem problem because now i'm hurt that you didn't use my songs and i think that was the first like little kink in the armor there that would lead to his leaving the band after Fear of the Dark. But it was like that. I mean, because if you look at any re any of the rest of the records where he is on, mm -hmm. he's got writing credits except for this one. Right. And, and Tattooed Millionaire, his first solo album, didn't come out so long after this. 
course, he used Yannick Gers as a guitar player. That's where mm-hmm. they got him after Adrian left right before No Prayer for the Dying because Adrian's like, hey, hey, I like Somewhere in Time. And I like Seventh Son. And I thought we were going in a cool direction. And now you want to strip all that out and kind of go backwards. I'm not feeling that. I'm out of here. So Bruce's like, well, yeah, I got a guy who helped me make my record. So we'll we'll pop him in there and, and we'll go from there. And of course, No Prayer for the Dying is no one's favorite Iron Maiden album. Even if it was the one that you found Iron Maiden through, if you've gone back and listened to everything else, it's not number one for you anymore. Yeah, it's. I'll listen to it, but you're right. It's not my favorite. It was definitely. I think they. I think by that point in time, they were just like, we we need to do. It can't get any bigger than you know. The stage show can't get any bigger. These songs can't get any bigger. Let's go like garage bandy, stripped down, and yeah, it, you know, just wear black t-shirts and jeans and not worry about the costumes. And yeah, it it was a departure. So I could see why you would get a little bit out of shape, but when you kind of fit it in, I mean, if, if I if I listened to it at the time when it came out, mm-hmm. I would have said, "Uh oh, what's going on here?" But it, if you listen to it, if you know the rest of the story, it's not really. It's kind of a blip on the radar. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, they followed that up with "Fear of the Dark." The singles off "Fear of the Dark" I thought sucked, but "Fear of the Dark" and a couple other songs off the album are classics. They're fantastic, yes. maybe mm-hmm. you know. And that's why I never bought Fear of the Dark because the singles are like, well, the singles are no good. I don't want those those singles. You know, from here to return, you know, they just weren't that good. <laughs> but you know, they had a few singles. Fear of the Dark was not one of them. But then Rock and Rio comes out and they show Fear of the Dark for Rock and Rio. I'm like, oh well, now that's awesome. Why didn't they make that the single? And I know yeah. it was seven and a half minutes, and it's a runner, and that's not going to get on MTV or the pop radio. But it's classic, mate. That, and I think, what's the other one that's really cool off of that? Afraid to Shoot Strangers mm-hmm. about going to war. That's that's another one that's really long. It's not a radio thing, but that's a cool song. So, yeah, if you just heard the singles off of that, you would have said, oh, pass. Yeah, what exactly. What is this? All right, well, we, we should probably get into the, the songs a, a little bit here. You can only talk about the cover so much, uh, as cool <laughs> as it is, and, and uh, everything going on with the band at the time. But, all right, so we start off with... Caught Somewhere in Time, a Steve Harris runner, more than seven minutes, and Bruce really elevating his vocals, right? I mean, can really belt it out on that one. This, uh, the beginning of this is really cool. This one, I like the, the intro riff to this, that bum, 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 bum. I really enjoy whistling this <laughs> in the airport when somebody is trying to have some worthless conversation next to me on their phone. I'm like, okay, now you're going to get a little bit of this because I don't want to hear about how Tracy left the dog out in the, be quiet. And uh, it is it is seven minutes and 22 seconds long. But I think it's cool, and it starts off the, again, you told me this wasn't a concept record, but caught somewhere in time, it kind of seems like we're going with the theme right off the bat. Right, and you see the cover. He's obviously somewhere other than Earth in 1986, whether it's the future or just another planet, you know, you're, you're caught somewhere in time. And great work really by everybody on it. I mean, I got a feeling that this was, as soon as Steve presented this to the other guys, they're all like, yes, you know, that's worrying right there. That's that's. For sure, that's good. Now, second song, Wasted Years. I gotta tell you, I love this song. I've always loved it since I first heard it. The opening bit, which they also close with, which is also in the middle before they get into the solo, is actually not that hard to play. It, it's it, You're right. Well, I mean, I've, I've never tried to do that before, but 
what I love is now that uh, if you watch him play it now, Yannick will he will flip his hand over, bump, 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 and back and forth, kind of a little. And that's his that's his deal. Is he does the tricks on stage. He's a show, but I think it's really cool to watch him flip his hand back and forth. And I like the fact that it's it's Adrian's song by himself, and he gets to sing sometimes the whole thing, but at least the chorus part. Mm-hmm. And that really shows you how he is a pretty good singer. But Bruce is his voice is just it's special. light years above anybody else and yeah. so to hear him go into that and then bruce come back in again like wow he can really belt it out yeah this was the song for me that made me want to buy the record i still love this i'm glad they play it in concert everybody knows the intro riff to this and goes crazy when that when it comes on yeah it's it's a great song the solo is fantastic mm-hmm. it's a little weird because they, the vocals come back in before he's technically done with it but it works it just does. a little bit at the end there yeah it's yeah, i love this song and it ages well because you're talking about how you know over time you start to you know become a stranger to yourself you know and for a guy who traveled a ton for work and was in and out of airports and my wife was the same way sometimes we pass each other in the airport <laughs> i'm like this this resonates because i spent a lot of time on airplanes i've spent a lot of time in rental cars and traveling around you know trying to make things good for my life my family but you know that's also time that i was wasn't at home doing my thing, you know? So another thing that I like about it is, so yeah, if you ever seen the, I had the laser disc 12 wasted years, which, right, yeah. which came out at the end of the eighties, which is a history of Iron Maiden talk about how they got started and through the years, blah, blah, blah. They show Adrian playing in his like old band before he was in Maiden in a bar playing, you know, singing lead. She's a roller. I'm like, ah, look at him. He's a singer. (laughs) You know? So I'm like, yeah, okay. I guess we know that he can sing. But then there was also the part where Bruce is like, video directors are complete and utter cretins. Uh, which I guess is a cretin, only it's a cretin. And, um, you know, it's like they have the bass player on the drums or they have someone else singing like... So we went to Germany, I think it was Germany, to do like a Top of the Pops kind of show. And they, you know, and they're like, we don't want to mime it which is what, you know, we call it lip syncing, but like, we don't really want to mime it, but if we're going to mime it, we want to do it really good. And then the director still screws it up somehow. So he said, well, all right, so we're in a foreign country. Let's just be silly about it. So as soon as the, the, the playback starts, you know, Nico jumps off the drums and Bruce lets Steve Harris sing lead and, you know, he's plugging on the bass or whatever. But the one who wasn't into it was Adrian. He was the one like, I'm taking this seriously and I'm playing my guitar parts because this is my song. And I wrote this song and it's our big single and you guys can be a bunch of jackasses on someone else's song, but you're not doing it to mine. And I think that was also maybe part of the cracks. Uh, okay. Coming yeah. into thing, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm stepping up. I'm writing good songs. They are the singles. I'm pretty special. And now you take my song and you make a joke out of it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not down with that. Huh. Interesting. I, I don't remember that, but they, that could definitely be a major factor because yeah, this was the first time, like we said. He had written songs all by himself. This is my baby. This is my creation. And yeah, don't make fun of this thing. This is this took it was a lot of hard work to write. I always thought this was really weird about this band too. Is they they for all the stuff that they put out, it's always different people. I know. Like it's never like bump, bump, and bump or Iron Maiden. You know, as a collective, on every right? Yeah. It, it literally is different people on all of these things. So I can imagine that. Yeah, he was very protective of this, and this was. 
because the other cool thing about this song too is that it talks about don't waste all of your time thinking about well hey remember when we did that one i mean good stuff is ahead too so right. don't don't get caught in the past right exactly yeah live for today don't reminisce there's all sorts of good stuff today or don't reminisce about yesterday there's all sorts of stuff today and tomorrow to be happy about i totally right. agree it's a fantastic song and if you took out the heavy metal guitar parts a lot of bands could have could have had a big hit with a song like this with the lyrics. Yeah, and and maybe and maybe that was the thing too. Like it was kind of a for me, it was kind of a breakthrough or a crossover because it was Maiden, but it was not the super heavy eight thirty five mm -hmm. epics, which are great. But I just wasn't ready to hear those at that point in time. This is a very nice bridge into the Iron Maiden world. Absolutely. And it's the only song apparently on the album that doesn't use any kind of guitar synth at all. It's the one that's like kind of pure Maiden. And I think that's a big reason why it's survived the set list. Not only because it's a great song and it gives Adrian a chance to show off his vocal chops. And if someone else is singing, it gives Bruce a chance to rest his voice, which in his 60s you've got to do. But uh, but it's probably why it's it stuck around so long because it, it didn't slide into all that synth stuff. Yeah, Unlike... Sea of Madness, which is also a, a Smith right, and Heaven Can Wait, which was the second or it was the last song on this on the first side. Sea of Madness is heavy, and I like it. Heaven Can Wait, it's a little long, but it, it could have been a single. Heaven Can Wait, I mean, it, it's a, it's a great song. It's just it's too long to be a single. But I think it's good, Maiden. Yeah, I like Heaven Can Wait the the beginning part that bum 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 bum, and then the drums come in. So yeah, it is seven twenty four. But it, yeah, I, I agree with you. It could have been a single. Uh, they still this one still pops up from time to time in the set list, and I think it uh, it ages well also. Yeah, and I don't want to leave Sea of Madness out because but you're kind of crammed between two the two songs that kind of survive off of this thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Sea of Madness is an Adrian Smith, right? But I never skip over it. I mean, I, you know, no. I, I definitely want to hear it every single time we listen to it. And so that first side, caught somewhere in time, wasted years, Sea of Madness, having to wait, even though I only ever really had it on CD. But that's that's strong. You know, that, that comes yeah. out very well to me. And to me, when it goes into what would be side two, the loneliness of the long distance runner, I love this song. This is a great Steve Harris, right? And you think it's it's about running, so it's going to have that Steve Harris gallop in it, but not necessarily all of it, you know? It's got a little start and stop in it, too. And I think Bruce does a great job with it. I, I It's six and a half minutes. I, I love the song. I can listen to that over and over. Yeah, and, it, and it's cool once you go into the next one, too. But the, the feeling of, again, we're, we're somewhere, are we talking about like the ancient Greek guys who would run the equivalent of the marathon to deliver these messages, you know, in battle, but you were all by yourself. You knew you had to get there as fast as you could. It, the people were actively trying to kill you and you had nobody around, yeah, it's an it's a interesting concept to think about. And I feel like that, although, you know, Adrian and Dave usually trade off and spar a lot, I feel like they were doubling each other a little bit on that one in a couple of spots. Yeah, yeah. And then it's cool then when you have the, and I don't know what you call it, but a lot of times Harris will not, he'll play a double of the lead guitar too, which sounds cool. So it's just the same thing, but just way, way lower. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a, that's a cool one, two, three punch on these things. It's amazing. And, and to see them do them live is so great. Of course, now they've got Yannick up there to help out too. So it's kind of an assault, Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's, it's what you're looking for with Iron Maiden. And it, again, I, I wish to hell that they had filmed more than just the stranger in a strange land video 
on the stage because I've never seen any footage ever. And like I said, there is no long concert video, but you thought maybe there was half of one somewhere or, you know, we're going to film 30 minutes for Japanese television or something strange like that. And I guess it just never happened. Interesting. Although it does make sense if you just spent all that time and money on the previous tour, you know, who's going to want to see this again? Uh, everyone. Everybody. Thank yeah. you. And it's, it's just one of those things that stands the test of time. I mean, Mick Jagger in 1989 on the, you know, 25 by 5 that we watched a thousand times. He's like, you know, those are really what stand the test of time. People want to see something of you playing this song. They also want to see something of you. What did you look like at the time? You know, what did your stage look like? What were your outfits looking like? You know, how does it fit in to the whole catalog? Video, I mean, you know, the audio is forever, but video really better captures a moment in time. And if you'd never heard Stranger in a Strange Land, but you heard it for the first time today, you might think it's a new song. But if you see the video, you're like, okay, well, this was made in the 80s for sure, right? You know. Well, and the other thing, too, is when they've done their kind of greatest hits somewhere back in time sets, they always use the classic Power Slave set design, you know, with the sarcophagus and the pyramids and everything. They never use this one. So, yeah, this this one kind of got lost with the, the giant blow-up Eddie and the... Um, the computer parts all over the place and wiring and everything uh, that you can see just a little bit of in the video. It's too bad. This would be kind of cool to, to have them and, and do this whole record. That would be a really cool deal. That would be cool. Now they did, they, I don't think they, they revisited seventh son. They didn't do the whole thing, but so you had like the ice sculptures and things on stage. And that was a cool, yeah. that was cool. And then of course, going back to live after death or power slaves, like that's amazing. That set is phenomenal you know people mm -hmm. love that but you're right what if they did say hey we don't have any video of us doing somewhere in time why don't we bring that stage back and and beef it up a little bit because quite frankly they play bigger stages they need a little more room because they're a six piece instead of a five piece and they could bring back stranger to strange land it, it's it's got that chug mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. Which is very synth out. Judas Priest was guilty of the same thing around this time. You listen to stuff like Out in the Cold from Turbo Lover and stuff like that. Yeah. Very synthed up and it turned a lot of people off. And of course, they went back in early 90 to Painkiller, which was maybe their heaviest album ever. Certainly their heaviest in a long time. And I think that's what Maiden was kind of trying to do with No Prayer for the Dying. I just think they did it to lesser effect. Yeah, and, and I think that if you're going to compare the two, this is a way better record than Turbo. Uh, I think yes. I think Priest went went all in. I think they started using a, like a drum sample machine too, which Maiden never did. Yeah, I think that for this one, they kind of went right up to the edge of falling over into that and then backed off. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, have you seen the Locked In video by Judas Priest? Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as the Hot Rockin' video, but um, or the Don't Go video. If you didn't know Rob Halford was gay and you saw the Don't Go video, you'd be like, oh yeah, he's gay. <laughs> yeah, but but I think that I think the the turbo stuff might be even worse because now but now Halford's got this like weird greasy mullet. Mm -hmm. uh, they're wearing like you know they're not wearing black leather anymore. It's like you know pastels, mm -hmm. and it's just and and, and uh, he's got the long rusty. leather duster jacket. And I'm yes, like, yeah. yeah. All right, I know you're fine. trying to branch out, but yeah, that was that was just a bad bad idea. And I don't think Maiden ever did that. They had I mean Bruce had the had the Eddie uh, Blade Runner costume but other than that they pretty much kept the same kind of look all these years like dave yeah. murray has always got the sleeveless mm -hmm. maiden t-shirt on and jeans 
that's it. That's right. And Yannick does the same thing. That's right. They basically all do that except for Bruce these days, it seems. But yeah, I, I like Stranger in a Strange Land. It, it, it kind of takes me back to a moment. Deja Vu is the song that I like the least. And it's under five minutes, which makes it the shortest song on the record. But to me, it's the longest because it just, you know, see, it feels like I've been here before. Feels like I've been here before. I'm like, yeah, it feels like this song has been here before. Uh, you know, it's like I can't get rid of this song. It's the one I had forgotten about, to be honest with you. When I started listening to this, after I was inspired by writing on the wall, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this one. Why did I forget about this one? It's got some good stuff in it, but it's just like, yeah. It, it does It does kind of drag. But but just for a minute, I want to go back to Stranger in a Strange Land. Right. You, were, you were talking about the writing on the wall mm -hmm. video. This would have been phenomenal as an animated deal too with the because there's the you know the eddie is the if you look at the gatefold there's a picture or a painting for that single and he's like the clint eastwood man with no name mm -hmm. coming into the bar that would have been really cool had they done that something like that and then i remember i think it was smith was saying about how there's something they had made this archaeological discovery at about this time huh. Some guy trapped in his in under I don't know in Russia or something under the ice fields, and he was all by himself. There was no other fossils found with him, and I guess they found there was something in his stomach that they could tell that he would he was not from there. He was from he was going somewhere. He was wandering. He was looking for something, and he died all by himself. So the just kind of that ugh. stranger in a strange land. Stranger in a strange land. Yeah, yeah. lost and all alone. Well, look, yeah, I'm going to tell you. I think they could have made animated videos out of all of these songs or could yeah. have made like a long form hour plus you know Ooh, you know one like big movie yeah and kind of go into different vignettes and things oh, like that oh, 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 yes. absolutely could have i mean last song alexander the great mm -hmm. it totally lends itself to just show some ancient greece you know fighting the fight the persians they fought the Indians. They fought everybody. He conquered the whole known world, maybe. So then, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying that Eddie goes back in time as Blade Runner and, and somehow helps out Alexander the Great. He would not have been what he was without... <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Exactly. Yeah, that, and he can come down cool. to his pyramid in Egypt. Yeah. <gasps> uh, tying in the whole power slave <sighs> thing. And that's okay. where he imports the knowledge to Alexander. You know, I mean, all these things, Sea of Madness, all of these things could have had amazing videos, animated videos. And that's why it inspired me after I saw, look, as soon as it came out, I watched them like, oh my God, I got to see that again. And I hit it again. And I watched And then I watched it three or four more times. And I said to the she-wolf, who does not like Iron Maiden, believe it or not, despite the fact that I've taken her to see Iron Maiden. You know, I'm like, look, I gotta show you something. It's Iron Maiden, so you may not love it, but you gotta watch it, it's amazing. It's only about five minutes, so watch it. And even she was impressed. She's like, I don't really understand the whole backstory with it all, but these visuals are pretty unbelievable. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's amazing. And like we said a couple weeks ago when we had just first seen it and, and had to talk about it on the first Kiss episode, number 35, Maiden lends themselves so well to being able to do animated videos because of Eddie. Eddie can do right. anything. Eddie can be anywhere at any time. He can be big. He can be small. He can be a pauper. He could be a pharaoh. He could do anything. And so any story you tell, Eddie can show up. And he showed up big time in writing on the wall. 
Right, and it was it was cool to to have the the four horsemen be the classic Eddies, and then to break out the new samurai Eddie at the end. Yeah, it was it's great. That would be really cool to put this together and make a long form. I mean, what's what's this thing? The total is fifty one minutes. Fifty one minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's right on the money for a long form animated deal. That would be fantastic. Be fantastic, and they can have you know interlude music and you know. Mm-hmm. Sh- you can hear the the brushes, you know, the, the tumbleweeds, you know, moving around or whatever between scenes. You could put in a little dialogue. You could make this into a motion picture if you wanted to. An animated one. I, uh, I What's Rod Smallwood's phone number? I'm going to call him. Uh-huh. I need to get on that. I got to get on that right away. But, you know, not to downplay Alexander the Great. I, I love it, but it is an epic. It's eight and a half minutes long. It is the last song of the album. Kind of for a reason. You don't start off with Alexander the Great. As much of an epic as it is, you're you're on a bit of a journey there. And I think when it's over, you're like, whew, what an album. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a cool, classic Harris composition in the spirit of Rim of the Ancient Mariner. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it goes on forever. Phantom of the Opera. I mean, you know. Yeah, correct. I know he's kind of from a working class background, but it seems like he has some kind of classical education in his background as well. I mean, the stuff that he writes about is uh, some of the gothicness I know fits the maiden, but some of the rest of it's like, he's a really, really smart guy. He would be, and I've seen a couple interviews with him. You talk about a dude who you'd love to sit down and have a pint with. Mm. Holy Christmas. Holy and man. just like, I'm not going to stay at work. Just go. Just start talking. I don't even care what you say. Because yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, the stories that he could tell about, I mean, you talk about somebody who is a rock star, but not really a rock star. I mean, just kind of a, seems like kind of a down to earth guy, Mm -hmm. just, you know, going in there doing his thing. Yeah. I'll just, you know, pull out an eight minute, 35 second song about Alexander the great. Let me see uh, Motley Crue do that. I don't think so. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Vince couldn't sing for eight and a half minutes straight anyway. Probably not. No. Not without needing a bite of chicken or something. (laughs) Seen him lately. My God. Oh, my Lord, Vince. Come on, man. you got to hit the gym, buddy. Uh, I, I believe now he's referred to as Vince Neal. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Mick couldn't put on five pounds if he had to, and he really needs to, poor Mick. Uh, he's very frail looking. I mean, he can still play like it's nobody's business, but it just looks, he's just painful to look at now. Yeah, it looks like he's in pain, the poor guy. I'm like, I can't believe yeah. you're still trotting him out for this, man. But God bless him, he can still do it. Look, Iron Maiden are the bomb, man. And their 17th record comes out just in a few weeks from recording this, but by the time we release it, it might only be 10 or 12 days away or something like that. So uh, something to look forward to for sure. I can't wait. I pre-ordered my Digibook. I was seriously considering, because I am a longtime member of the Iron Maiden fan club, you can get a super uber deluxe version in a big wooden box that comes with all sorts of special stuff in it. Now, it's over 100 quid, which means it's probably $150. I'm like, for the record, and yeah, what do you get? Well, you get a DVD of the video. I'm like, awesome. You get a DVD of behind the scenes. Love that stuff. Can never get enough of it. But I will be able to see that on YouTube like that night, right? There'll be other fans like, I got to share this right away. You know, yeah. so am I paying a hundred bucks for a box and then a couple of designs and stuff like that? I'm like, eh. you know, I'd rather spend the money getting a ticket to go see him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wonder now what they're going to do because 
they've got some dates that they haven't played for the the Legacy of the Beast tour, but I can imagine they're going to they're gonna be chomping at the bit to bring the new stuff out. So I don't know what they're going to do when touring really gets back into it. Well, I mean, yeah, and they have to do Legacy tour. They don't have to do the exact same set list. They can change that up. But if it's Legacy, it's really supposed to be from back in the day. Right. Um, but, I mean, I don't think anyone would mind writing on the wall at all. And that's the thing. We're going to get all these other songs. It's another double album. I mean, Maiden never made a top double album in their lives. And then their 16th and 17th are both double albums. It's kind of amazing. Steve Harris is a workaholic. He's a badass. Yeah. All the tours he's done, all the records, both live and studio, all the singles. And then Maiden is, uh, is a great brand. They have a lot of amazing products, but it's all high quality. All of it is. And, and he has approval he and Rod Smallwood over all of it. And, and nobody has produced every record and every video and every song like he has. He is Iron Maiden. For 45 years, he has done nothing but work hard. And he deserves everything he gets out of life. Have you had that Trooper beer? I haven't. But I, Matt, I Matt B., who's a, who's a longtime listener, he, he shot me a picture the other day. He was having one. When I told him we were going to review this, he sent me a picture. Ah, I got my Trooper beer ready for nice. when it comes out. So I got to get it. They can get it over here pretty easy. You can get it over there easy, too. But I, I, I should probably have some, yeah. Yeah, I'll, 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 next time I go to the big, what do they call it, the big liquor store here, the one that's like a freaking airport. Right. Uh, it's like a grocery store. Hanger. It's just the only it's yeah. alcohol. <laughs> right, right. I will, I'll take a look for it because, yeah, I, I do need to try that because you're right. I think that uh, Harris has an insane quality uh, quality-minded approach to this stuff, so it should be pretty good. And I've only seen good things written about it. And I mean, you, you see him on like the plane. He's signing like a thousand autographs, and you thought, "Well, God, how many times has he done that? How many like hundreds of thousands of autographs has he signed?" And he never complains about it. Now, he yeah. may push people. He may get mad at people who aren't working as hard as him. But it never seems like he gets tired of the fans or upset. Like, hey, you know, I've already answered that, or like, you know, read about it from two years ago. You know. Well, that was apparently the, the the problem. Dickinson swears up and down he never approached anybody until Blaze Bailey left. Mm -hmm. But apparently that was the problem with Bailey is he didn't realize this was a 24-hour-a-day job. Mm -hmm. like, there is no no. You will not refuse people. You want to take a picture? Sure. Autograph? Yes. Interview? Anytime. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to get – no. It, he didn't realize what this what this entailed, and you're right. Harris never, I've never seen him be dismissive to anyone. I've never seen him go through the interview where it's like, yeah, 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 whatever. What do you want? Okay, fine. He always seems like he's, he's happy to talk and you're right to see him. I think it was on uh, the flight 666, just sitting there talking to whoever the interviewer was and just signing, 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 signing these thousands of things. That's, I mean, you talk about a guy who's got probably more money than he'll ever know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And yet he's still touring. And still putting out new music, you know you're going to, as soon as you put new music out, you know people are just going to bet, well, it's not as good as, be quiet. It's still somebody who wants to move forward and not just rest on his laurels. And I mean, he could never tour again and be okay, but he wants to get out there for the fans. Yeah. And he put together British Lion, you know, his yeah. side project, his side band, make a couple records, finally gets to do a tour. He doesn't need to do that. That, that will probably cost him money. He probably loses money doing that. He doesn't have to do that. He does it because I've got ideas that aren't for Maiden, and I want to go out and play to people. And I want to write with people who aren't just, you know, 
Bruce and Adrian and Dave or whatever. You know, it's it's just one of those examples of you get up and you work hard every day. Eventually, success is going to follow you. Success has been following him for a long time, and it would be hard for him to not be successful at this point at anything he chooses to do. Yeah, yeah, just just a dude who just gets out there and grinds it every day. And it, and it really seems, for the most part, everybody in the band is like minded. I, I don't really. It's it's interesting too that you never heard the Peter Chris or Ace Freely stories mm-hmm. about Iron Maiden. There was well, you know, so-and-so didn't work out. I mean, they they had, I don't remember exactly what the Clive Burr uh, story was. I know that he he got sick, but I don't know if he left because of that or not because I of that. I think it was but, before that, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think and he wasn't Deanna, cutting it, yeah. Yeah, and Deanna was the same way. He, he, they, he could not, they had done everything that they could with him. They needed somebody to take him to the next level. But other than that, they've never seen, there, there was a, never anybody who was absent for a while. There was mm-hmm. never anybody who was in rehab. They, they, they just they just loved to make music together and just grind it out on tour. I credit it all to two men. Rod Smallwood, who has been their manager since basically the beginning um, and has just steered them in the right direction you know always made sure they were taken care of financially always made sure when i gave you money all the taxes were out everything was out it's not like i'm going to give you this money and then you're going to owe a bunch later so you know you want to buy your parents a house great we're going to help you do that Davey wants to live in hawaii nico wants to live in florida we're going to work it out for all of you so you can do what you want Plus, he runs Sanctuary Records. Plus, he's managed other bands. But he's always with Iron Maiden. It's always been his top priority. And, of course, Steve Harris. And I just think they all know that Steve's in charge. Steve was there before all of them. Steve, Mm -hmm. it's Steve's band. And Bruce may have had a problem at some point. But you go head-to-head with Steve. Steve's in charge. Correct. (laughs) Correct. And I think they worked something out. I I remember on the – they were talking about the last big tour, the, the Book of Souls tour. And I think Nico was talking about, well, you know, how do you, how do you pick the set list? How does it go? And basically it's uh, Harris and Dickinson get together and then they, they kind of put a rough draft and then they bring it to everybody. You know, does somebody want to put something wacky in that we haven't played for a while? But basically they're, the two of them are in charge of that, but there is no mistake about who is ultimately in charge. Mm-hmm. If he says no, it's a no. Right. And that's just how it goes. And if he wants to include the song, it's going to be in there. And I don't know what Dickinson's role, not role in the band, but I don't know what his standing in the band is. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if he's, an, if he's back to being an equity partner or he's a, I don't know. I would imagine he's got something in there because he is so involved and he seems like he's really happy there doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, in, and I would kind of think with the, with the Smallwood and the history they've had together, I would imagine that Smallwood probably took Harris aside and said, listen, make this easy on yourself. Bring him back as a partner mm-hmm. in some, you know, maybe not, maybe not equal, but just make him happy. And then you won't have to worry about this again. I think it is. I think it's equal. I think it's six equal shares. And that's probably why, you know, they haven't had a lineup change in, in 20, 22 years now. It's been the six of them. And it would be easy, like, you getting tired? Because we can do this with two guitarists. We don't need all three of you. One of you want to retire? That's right. fine. I go from 16 to 20%. It's never happened, you know, and, and they've been pretty stable. I mean, since 1982, Adrian dropped out for a while. They replaced him with Yannick. Bruce dropped out for a while. They replaced him with Blaze. They got rid of Blaze. They brought Adrian and Bruce back. Didn't kick out Yannick. Brought them both back. And, uh, you know, stable ever since. So, And that, that's, that's one thing that I always thought was kind of ridiculous, but also really cool. Listen, this is Yannick's in the band now. I mean, I, I understand that Smith had the he had the history. He wrote the songs. 
but we're not getting this. We're not kicking this guy out. If you want to come back in, that's cool, but we're all going to have to share. And you guys, the three of you are going to have to find space to breathe. Mm-hmm. It, it, it shouldn't work on paper to have three guitarists, but it does. Right. And it's pretty cool. And I always admired him for that. And I thought it was really cool when they did the, what was it? Uh, Brave New World mm-hmm. record in 2000 that it was, okay, Dickinson's back and Smith is back. Okay, here we go. Of course, Brave New World was a line on this record, on Somewhere in Time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of tied that back together as well. Not, not to mention, look, Adrian, Yannick has now been in the band longer than you were in the band, right? <laughs> He's been in the band 10 yeah. years, you were in the band like eight years, okay? So let's, you know, we're not kicking them out to make space for you, but you know, you guys can play together, then it can all work out. So just an amazing, an amazing group that deserves so much more credit than they get. I mean, the fact that they've been eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for, I don't know, 17 years, 18 years, they can't even get a sniff. It's it's ridiculous, you know? I mean, none of the other bands that are going in have their own 747. None of them are playing to six continents in a year like Iron Maiden does every other year. It, you know, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's insulting to the heavy metal community. I think so, but I think it's also kind of the, it may be kind of the opposite like it's kind of a red badge of courage where it's like I don't need this I don't need your silly rock and roll hall of fame again like you said we have our own plane right. we play sold out concerts all over the world if you can't recognize that see ya we'll, yeah. we'll be successful in spite of you yeah go go put LL Cool J in your building we'll stay Correct. out of it you know we've got other buildings to go we got stadiums to play right right <laughs> So that is Me in Action's take on Somewhere in Time, the legendary sixth album by Iron Maiden, which incorporated a lot of guitar and bass synths, kind of brought a more progressive edge to Iron Maiden's hard rock, heavy metal driving sound. An album that I think stands up well, and obviously the artwork is incredible. And seeing that Writing on the Wall video, which is just out, really inspired me to go back and listen to this album again and check it out and and remember how much I love it. And it inspired us so much that next week, for episode number 39, we're going to come back and give you some more Iron Maiden. That's the follow-up album, which went even more in the prog and synth direction, and that's Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Now, as usual, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Tweet us. Send us the at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 and make sure you check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com and please make sure to download and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, really most anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, I was disappointed that I didn't get to see Bruce live, speaking live, but as long as he recovers from this and can go back and speak again and of course one day front Iron Maiden, which I know is going to happen in 2022. That's all that really matters, and we have all that to look forward to. So for all you Maiden and metalheads out there who enjoyed this show, we really appreciate it. We think you'll enjoy next week's show as well. And as usual, to all you rock and rollers all over the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 